the process of growing, God is speaking to us. And uh, we heard from Candice when she came and she brought that message and brought the video of that, um, that dude, Vladimir, somebody or the other. Um, and um, he shared the message about closing the windows. Close the windows. Stop grumbling and complaining. Okay, um, he, that's sort of how he sounded. And um, that was the message that he shared, and it was very powerful and very spot on, I thought. Um, and then Matt, Pastor Matt, shared last week about taking off the 3D lenses of the devil, where we can often be caught up in deception, division, disobedience, and uh, this affects the way we can move forward. So many of us are trying to move forward while looking back. And this is not a good way to handle change, to handle transition. This is, if you keep looking back, you're going to stumble and fall while you're trying to move forward in change and transition. Okay, so where does that lead us to today? Well, the first thing I want to say is, number one, if you want to handle transition well, you want to move through your season well, you must be prayerful. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 8 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there you can see, as you hit the the first button of transition, which is anxiety and stress about what's going to happen and how's it going to happen and who's going to make it happen. The first thing we need to do is not be anxious, but start by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How many of you have gone through situations, major stress, major anxiety, and it has dominated your thinking? All you can think about is that problem, that situation. It just sits on your mind like a heavy weight. Anyone experience that? Raise your hand if you've had that horrible experience. And so God's answer is to say, well, start in prayer and then change your thinking willfully by power of your will, remove that weight and focus on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Think about those things. And it's a really difficult act of self-control and of self-discipline to do that. Because the easiest and the most natural thing in the world is to worry and be anxious. And I found the more I worry and the more anxious I get, the more I worry and the more anxious I get. It doesn't solve it. It actually only increases it. And so I have to, by force of will, by a major decision of my, of my own self-control, I've got to say, I'm not going to think about this anymore. And, I, and, it, and it, there's ways you can do this. But really, God provides the pattern. He says, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. God, I have this problem I'm going to petition you to step in. God, take the weight. God, take the stress. God, take the problem. And thank you that you will do that, that you care about me. Might have to say that a few times before it actually starts to become real. The second thing that we can do when we're handling change well is that we become discerning. Matt spoke about this in his message. Pastor Matt spoke about this in his message where he said that we, we need to use discernment, the discerning of spirits. 
Isaiah 43.19 is a great prophetic uh, passage of Scripture. And in the middle of it, he says, See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the, in the wasteland. You know, when, you, when you're going through difficult situations, it can feel like the wilderness and the wasteland. And it's very unusual and unlikely to expect streams and rivers to spring up in the middle of a wasteland, in the middle of a desert. It's, it's highly improbable, isn't it? So when you're thinking about your problem and the future, the change and all that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to think about the really good things that are going to spring up as a result. You're going to think about the negative things that you have to deal with. And so God says in the middle of that, he says, I want you to see beyond. I want you to perceive something deeper. I want you to discern what I'm doing in the middle of this and then focus on that. That's where your thanksgiving comes in. That even in, even though I'm going through a period of desert, of wilderness, of dryness, I can thank you that in the middle of that, a spring will rise up and a river will flow. Because that is what God wants to do for me as his child. And I can hang on to that and I can thank God for that. And you know, things like that do actually happen. There are many testimonies that we can share of how we were in desperate situations. There seemed like there was no way out. But we just had to thank God and throw all of our faith onto God and say, God, unless you come through, we don't know what to do. So we're trusting you. Do something miraculous. Do something amazing. And time and time and time again, God provided a stream, a spring, a river in the middle of that. Can I have an amen? Does anybody, did anyone experience the goodness of God in a tough situation? Hello? What's going on this morning? Is it cold? You all want to curl up and sleep? Wake up, church. Let's get into this. Okay? The next process, or the next thing that we can do after we've been praying and we've been discerning what God wants to do, the next thing we can do is be, is be humble. In Matthew eleven twenty nine from the Passion Translation, Jesus says this, Simply join your life with mine, learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. Hey, you know what? Pride is a subtle and sly thing. You know, I'm a guy and I was raised to be what a man should be, according to my dad and what I agree with. Okay, and in the culture we're in, even as I say that, I'm just feeling like all these like arguments for what a man really is. You know, I'm just like, oops, uh, uh, how do I defend myself? Too, too bad. I was raised to be a man, and a man equals you provide, you look after, you solve problems, you uh, care, you protect, you love. That's what a man does, okay? And if you don't like that version of a man, I'm sorry, but that's the best a man can get, not Gillette, okay? And, um, and so... So I get fired up about the nonsense that we've got to deal with in our culture. So, um, so I was raised to, to be a man like that. And, you know, pride comes in on the back of that. Because whenever there's a problem or a situation, um, <clears throat> I think it's my duty to worry. I've got to solve this. I've got to hold the line. I've got to carry my family through this. And so I need to worry about it. I need to always be on it. Always be carrying it. 
And, and, I, and then my wife in her wisdom would say, oh, don't worry, love, God's got this one. And I'd be like, how can you just be so carefree in the middle of this? How do you manage that? And then the little, little birdie would pop up in my brain and say, it's because you're carrying it, not her. I'd be like, that's right. I am. I've got her. I'm the man. And what a man I am. Mm, I'm carrying it. Flip, it's heavy. Oh my gosh, it's killing me. Why am I carrying this thing? Oh my word, how am I going to carry this? I shouldn't be carrying this. God, help me. Where are you, God? And this pride thing would go around and around and around in my life. And I didn't realize that it was a, a thing of humility to be able to go, God, as much of a man as I am and a wonderful one at that, I can't carry this. I need you. God, I hand this over to you. I want to be as carefree as she is. Help me. And so join your life with Jesus. Learn his ways. Jesus was never stressed out. we got 5,000 people here and they haven't eaten. They're all about to riot. You called this meeting, Jesus. This is your responsibility. Feed them. Well, what have we got? Nothing. Well, come on, seriously, what have we got? Oh, if we had to gather enough money for this, this is like 10 months worth of wages, and we're fishermen who gave everything up to follow you. We got nothing if I add here's nothing and here's nothing. Still nothing. Hmm, okay, you sure we got nothing? Why don't we ask around? Oh, hang on, we've got five loaves and two fish. That'll do it. And Jesus, no flap, no panic, goes, okay, give it to me, let's bless it. Lift it up to heaven. Father, <sighs> I mean, 5,000 people hungry, pressure's on. Solve this. Yeah, right. Lord, these people need to eat. Thank you for providing. You don't really have a problem with provision. And bless it, feed them, go. 5,000 later, plus leftovers. See, Join your life with him and learn his ways of how he handles major stress and major situations and you will discover that he's gentle, humble and easy to please. He's not asking more of you, more of me than I can deliver, than you can deliver. You'll find refreshment and rest in him. You know, in the middle of transition, I believe there's nothing you need more than refreshment and rest. And I have found that in the middle of change and stress and anxiety and, and seasons changing, etc., I look for refreshment and rest in the wrong places. I try to check out. I try to escape. I, if there's any way I can shift this thing off me, I just need to numb my brain for a while. So like the idea of sitting in a movie theater for like two hours where it's dark and no one can talk to me, is like, woohoo, paradise. And Trish would go, why do you go to the movies on your own? You are so weird. I'm like, mm, you don't understand. For like two hours, I'm left alone. It's amazing. The only problem is, is that it's not a solution. It's a temporary fix. Because as those credits start to roll and the lights come on, oh, there it is again. I've got to go out and deal with it now. And so I don't know if you have any temporary fixes. You know, we, we, life is plentiful with options for you. Um, alcohol, drugs, sex, 
pornography, entertainment, hobbies, sport, etc. I mean, you're looking at the champion of escape here. Like, I, I gave them all a fair go. And I want to tell you they don't work. The only thing that works is finding, by humility, joining my life to Jesus and finding that refreshment and rest in him. That's the only thing that works. Like, as much as I know that, I don't always live that. And so I believe what Jesus is saying there by join your life to me, it requires a choice, a decision, a mindful course of action to do that. It didn't just happen when you got born again and that's it. Well, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm joined to him, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need to physically join yourself up to him when you're going through change. Hook in closer. Hold on tighter and go, Jesus, you got to help me through this. Are you listening, Tyra? Good. Because now is a good one for you. Another way to handle transition well and handle the seasons of change is to get planted. In Psalm 1, we read, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Isn't it funny that you can go through change and God's wisdom is get planted? You know, when you, things are moving and everything's like, ooh, a bit unsteady and unstable, God says, now get planted. Because there are voices and there are people there that want to take advantage. The devil will use them to take advantage of your vulnerability. He will send mockers. He will send the wicked, the sinners alongside you with fresh ideas of how you should handle the stress in your life. And they will sing your song. They will play your tune. It will feel so like we are. You know, Jerry Maguire. Where, where, what was that word? They're like, together? What does she say in the movie? You had me at a low, whatever. Okay. You complete me. That was the one. You, you complete me. You'll find them. The devil will send them to you. You don't want to hook up with that. You want to plant yourself in good soil where God can nourish you and protect you and watch over you. So a church family is the most obvious place to plant your life because you have relationships here who will pray for you, encourage you, speak God's word to you, help you to draw closer and closer to Jesus. Don't go plant yourself in the pub. That's dumb. What kind of wisdom are you going to get there? Psalm 92, verse 13 to 14 says, Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Hallelujah for some of us who are feeling brittle and old. Okay? Uh, if you learn this from a young age, if you connect in and you plant into a church family wherever you go, Jacob, when you go off to Sydney and Canberra, Plant yourself in a house of God somewhere and your life will flourish. Tyra, the first thing you do when you get to Scotland is not go look for 
you know, where the hottest nightclub is. You go look for the hottest church you can find and you plant yourself in that place and your life will flourish. And every one of you who's trying to do life and you're trying to make it work, don't go plant yourself in some kind of dump, crummy ground. Come plant yourself in the rich, fertile soil of the family of God and your life will flourish. It's in the word. It's what he says. This is how you handle change well. Because the most natural thing to do when you are going through transition and pain and stress and anxiety is to withdraw and isolate yourself. Get away because I don't want to burden you with my problems and I don't want to have to get vulnerable and share with you all the stuff that's weighing me down. And I don't always want to be the one who's crying at the altar. Is that your job, Cheryl? See, she's humble enough to admit that, okay? You, you, and, and that's the thought pattern that goes on. It's like, oh, man, why am I always the basket case in this church? Like, what's the story? Okay, you don't have to worry about that. You're planting yourself so you can get nourished and get strong. You, you're becoming that rich, tall oak of righteousness. And, and you've got to sink roots, and roots take a while to get in and get knitted and get, get things get sorted. You can't just, there's no quick fix going on here. This is a lifestyle that I'm sharing with you. But there are principles that you can be aware of and conscious of, and you can lock them in and your life will prosper. Psalm 92 says this, How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. I am so blessed by scriptures like this. I hope you are too. Because I look at some people and I go, Really? What a planet. What universe is that? Okay. Really? And it's, it just blows my mind. And I read a scripture like this and I go, aha, uh-huh. now I understand. You're so profound. You're so amazing, God. And people are senseless. And they're fools. Why am I saying this? Because you don't have to be senseless or a fool. Nor do I. Here's the way out. Here's the way through. In the middle of seasons changing, people do the most crazy stuff and say the most crazy stuff. Have you noticed that? In the middle of major stuff happening, it just goes, comes out of them. You go, oh, my, my, my. Where are you feeding? And so I've thought about this a lot in my 20-plus years of being a pastor. I've had to deal with people going through all sorts of changes And I have found that whenever change hits, one of the great determining factors that's going to ensure that you handle it well is not only doing the things that I've just shared with you, the principles from the Word of God, but there is another thing that has many factors involved, and it's called emotional maturity. And from Wikipedia, isn't that a wonderful thing, Wikipedia? I don't have to buy those uh, Encyclopedia Britannicas anymore. I just click a button. Emotional intelligence, emotional leadership, emotional quotient, and emotional intelligence quotient is the capability of individuals to recognize their own emotions. Hmm. How many of us don't recognize our own emotions? And to recognize those of others, to discern between different feelings and label them appropriately. We use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior, and we manage or adjust our emotions to adapt to environments or to achieve one's goals. That requires a level of maturity that doesn't come by accident. 
This kind of response of handling our emotions, correctly understanding our emotions and understanding those of others and then adjusting our behaviors accordingly, these kind of things come as a result of choices and decisions and understanding and leadership over our lives. When you try and do it all on your own, all by yourself, all your own way, you are lacking emotional intelligence to think like that. We were not designed that way. When you don't know why you're feeling what you're feeling, but you're just going to say it or do it because that's just how you feel, you're not emotionally mature. When you're going to run your mouth off because you just need to vent and you're going to say things and release things over your own life and over the lives of other people, you're not behaving with emotional maturity or emotional intelligence. And these things, you need family, you need leadership, you need wisdom, you need understanding, you need the fear of God, you need the understanding of your mouth and and the tongue. There's a whole range of things that help you to get emotional intelligence and emotionally mature. But if you'll do the things that I've shared before, the prayer, the discernment, the humility, the planting, if you'll do these things, you are well on your way to emotional maturity. But there are a few more things I want to draw your attention to. Tara mentioned it during her song, Break Every Chain. One of the big things is this, taming the tongue. James chapter 3 goes like this. My brothers and sisters, most of you shouldn't become teachers. That's because you know that those of us who teach will be held more accountable. All of us get tripped up in many ways. Suppose someone is never wrong in what they say. Then they are perfect. They are able to keep their whole body under control. In the same way, the tongue is a small part of a person's body, but it talks big. Think about how a small spark can set a big forest on fire. The tongue is also a fire. The tongue is the most evil part of the body. It makes the whole body impure. It sets a person's whole way of life on fire. And the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. People have tamed all kinds of wild animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, and they still tame them, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an evil thing that never rests. It's full of deadly poison. With our tongues, we praise our Lord and Father, and with our tongues, we curse people. We do it even though people have been created to be like God. Praise and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. Can fresh water and salt water flow out of the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. And a saltwater spring cannot produce fresh water either. James here is one of the elders of the church, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, is talking to his flock. And no doubt, where we read that little verse where it says that the the widows, the Greek widows and the Jewish widows came, the representatives came to to the church elders and said, we can't find agreement over the kind of care that has been given to the widows, the Greek widows and the Jew widows, Jewish widows. There was 
conflict. There was a whole lot of emotional immaturity about whose needs were more important and who should be cared for more. And here the the apostle, the, the father, the pastor writes and he says, listen, if we could somehow find a solution for this, it would all start in your mouth. When you're going through transition, you're going through change, when there's stuff being foisted upon you, anxiety, etc., whatever is on your heart will come out of your mouth. And if you start engaging with the fires of hell, destructive talk, you know the devil comes to steal, kill, destroy, that's his characteristics. If you start echoing the devil's characteristics, what you say is destructive. What you say kills destiny, kills futures, kills hope. What you say steals the strength and the vitality and the fruitfulness from people, from a church. When you start doing that, you have now partnered with the devil and it is, your tongue is inspired by hell itself. If you have any fear of God in you, that should be the most sobering thing that you've heard today. You should be like, wait a minute. Let me check what's come out of my mouth. We all stand there. James said it. If anyone can tame their tongue, then they're perfect. Anyone perfect here? Anyone? We've all done it. We've all used our tongue to praise God and curse people. And sly, subtle, you know, little things, suggestive little things. It's not always blatant and out there. It's just that little dig. And I'm afraid Australian culture is very good at this. That's why they're called diggers. Have a little dig. Just have a little dig, you know. And you can laugh about it, and it is funny. And I'm an Aussie now, so I'm one. And I'm good for a dig at times too. But I want to know what's inspiring it. Is it inspired by love or is it inspired by hell? See, when you're going through change, you need to make sure, put a watch on your mouth and a guard over your heart. That's what the Bible says. Who's watching your mouth? If you can't do it, ask your spouse. They'll be very good at it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed, enjoyable, enviable, enjoying enviable happiness, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. We're called to be peacemakers. You want to have a good life? You want to handle, handle change well? Bring peace. Bring peace. Work for peace. When somebody's spewing out stuff to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you spoken to that person about it? Have you dealt with this? Have you gone to them? Hang on, hang on. on. Are you serious about that? Is that what you really feel? Maybe we should pray together and we can deal with some of the feelings that are lying in your heart. What a peacemaker. What a courageous person to have in your life who will say stuff like that and do stuff like that for you. And if you're humble, which was my second point, you will receive that and accept that and go, okay, Let's, let's pray about that. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, 
It says this, after a first and a second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions, since you know that such a person is perverted and sinful, being self-condemned. When seasons change and you have loyalties to somebody who is partnering with the devil and is actively working to sow division in your life or in your world or in your church, you need to warn them and warn them again. And if they still continue to be that voice in your ears, God says in his word, have nothing to do with them. It is costly to be a Christian. It is costly to handle seasons of change, become emotionally mature. It is a costly thing to walk with Jesus. Jesus said, unless you prepared to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, then you can have no part with me. He's saying, unless you prepared to prefer me over the closest of your relationships, if those relationships are toxic and are taking you away from me, you need to get away from them. This is big stuff, isn't it? And I wonder how many of us gather a council, back to Psalm 1, we sit in the seat of the mockers. We go and sit right there in the midst of them where they're all bagging and carrying on and criticizing and judging. We just join in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not going to go well for you. Not a good season for you. Your change that you try to see in your life is going to be hampered by the things that you are saying and sowing with your mouth. So how do you handle this? I mean, you, you could say, I'm warning you, and I warn you twice, there will not be a thrice. You're gone. Okay, it's probably not like the method I would use. Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 15 to, 7, 15 to 17, he says this, If your fellow believer sins against you, you must go to that one privately and attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship is restored. Don't we all want that? You know, when you know this stuff, niggling stuff, and yeah, just go and speak to the person. Be courageous. This is part of emotional maturity. This is part of you handling change well. It helps to iron out the, the gaps and the confusion and the, the miscommunications that the devil feeds on in the middle of change. You go to him once. You go one-on-one. -on -one. If, if his heart is closed to you, then go to him again, taking one or two others with you. You'll be fulfilling what the Scripture teaches when it says every word must be verified by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you go taking people with you. If he still refuses to listen, then share the issue with the entire church in the hopes of restoration. This is revolutionary. If we began to do this, I wonder what the effect would be. Because we have had a sea of division in this region over, over, the, over a seven-year period when we started this church. There were 16 churches that began together. Fifteen of those churches experienced a split, a church split, a church closure, or a major leadership change. Tell me that's not the devil attacking the church. Tell me that's not a spirit of division at work to weaken the church. And that set us on a course to pray for the church in this region, to bless the church in this region, to teach what we teach, to live the way we live, so that division would never have a home. But since those days, we've seen division attack us again and again and again. 
And I've been looking at this going, God, we, we go through change. And what happens when we go through change is that division comes to try and attack us and tear us apart. And we end up weaker than we were before. And part of it is that we, some of us, lack the emotional maturity and the emotional intelligence to process all of these things well. So we react. And then because we've reacted, we're embarrassed and we have to go. Or we feel stuff and sense stuff and we think stuff, but we'll never go to the person. We'll just talk with everyone else around about it. And then before we know it, this whole group has become this, the seed of mockers and the, the room full of scorners. And, and there's suddenly there's division ran, running rampant through our church. And we've got no idea how it began and how we're going to fix it. And, and inevitably, these people say, I've got to go because I can't be happy here. And so, what we're going to do in response to God's word is we're going to do what God says. We're going to come to you one-on-one. We're going to come to you with two or three witnesses. If we hear about things like judgments and accusations and things going on, we're going to do this. And if it still doesn't resolve, we're going to talk about it publicly in the church. That's what the Bible says. Now, I don't want a bun fight. I don't want a big argument about stuff. What I don't want, though, is division to have a home. I don't want to have, like, constant feelings of, like, what? Is this a vibe? What's going on? Nah, that's not how we live. We're going to walk in love and unity. And so the way we do that is through following what the Bible says, as uncomfortable as that may be. So I fully expect, on the back of a word like this today, that there will be change. I fully expect that people will respond to that and go, how dare he? I'm not going to stick around for that. Well, I encourage you not to react like that. I encourage you to be biblical. Come and grow with us. Let's be mature together. I in no way want to give you a reason to divide and hurt us and hurt you and weaken us and weaken you. I in no way want to give the devil that right. But I also don't want to allow the devil to continue to use us to bring division in the church. We're called to be God's answer. We're called to be God's solution for a place that was ravaged by division. More divorces, more closures of sports clubs, more problems in schools, school call-outs for police because kids were fighting. Why do they fight? Because they can't find agreement. Because they're angry with each other. And we prayed and we were a solution many times and that stopped and changed. But we still have that issue in our church and we've got to deal with it biblically. So please be on notice that the way we will deal with conflict and the way we will deal with accusation and with murmuring and grumbling and complaining is biblically this way. Some of you are very happy about that. I am too. God bless you. So, you know, it's, a, it's really a combination message. There's a lot of love and, and sadness in saying goodbye to Tyra. There's, there's a, we're in the middle of a big change. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. And, and then there's this admonition from the Lord, let's do it his way. Let's, let's journey through it his way. So I pray that God will have spoken to you, given you some keys to handle how you go through transition. And I pray that you'll be with us as we try to be biblical Christians and we actually deal with things the way the Bible says to.
And uh, if you're not going to comply, expect a call from me. If you're going to continue to murmur and complain, I will be calling you to ask you why. Okay, Matt? Yeah, just while um, Pastor Paul was sharing, a, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Paul had a vision of uh, crows like circling around, like big flock of crows. And when I was sitting next to Andy, the Lord was speaking to me uh, on that vision. It was a vision of the vines and the crows. And this morning we had the word about being the fruitful vine. And obviously, you know, uh, vo- uh, what are they called? Wineries, the vi- vineyards, they have like scarecrows or scatter- scatter guns and everything like that to keep the crows away. And so it, it ties in with that vision of the crows is that when we speak these things either intentionally or unintentionally, we actually release like one of those crows into the atmosphere, right? And they, and they circle around and they're after the fruit of the vine. They're after God's vineyard. And they just come in swoop and they'll take, take the fruit, you know? And whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're still releasing those things into the atmosphere. And, and God doesn't want that anymore. He, he wants us to actually, you know, release the doves of peace, really, rather than the crows of destruction and, 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 and that. But, you know, if you, I mean this, you know, if, if you're not happy or, you know, you, you want to complain and, and, and grumble, because we're all a family here and we're all trying to work together for the kingdom of God, right? I will drive you to a church that you're happy with, personally. I don't have a problem with that. If you flourish somewhere else, go flourish somewhere else. But I love you enough to be that with you if, you, if you're not happy here. And I, I don't say that lightly because I believe that all of us together, we can transform this region. We can transform our environments, our families and everything. So let's be peacemakers. Amen. That's right. And I bring this message to you, and thank you, Pastor Matt. That's good. Um, I just I want you to understand the spirit of why I'm bringing this, because we are about to come into a, an inheritance. We're moving into something God has promised us, and God wants to establish in our lives. We, we're coming to a season of great blessing, of great uh, abundance and prosperity. And that, I mean, I'm not just talking about the, this organization. I'm talking about each one of your lives. That there's a season change coming where this is going to be, it's already happening for some of you, but it's going to be ongoing. And and I don't want anything to steal from that and take away from it. Because we've had seasons like this before and division has stolen from it. And I don't want that again. So I'm going to try and do it biblically. I hope you still love me. I hope you can appreciate and respect me for being a man of the word and for um, trying to follow what God says. Uh, and I hope we can do this journey together and we can be so blessed as a result. I'm really excited about what's to come. Thank you. So, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I perform the priestly function and I'm terrible at, like, the official things, the way things should be done officially. I always get it wrong. So I'm scared of doing it. But I do want to proclaim the priestly blessing over you. But I can't remember it fully, so someone's going to have to help me. May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And what about Jesus? I can't remember. Please read it for us, Keith. Come up here, dude.
I should have learned this at Bible college, but I never did. I just pray for you guys all the time, but I don't use the official prayer. Come on, Keith. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. I just want to share something about what Paul said, just to build on what he said. He was talking about Matthew 18, 15, that if your brother sins against you, go and see him and then sort it out that way. Now, I know of a Bible college in Sydney where the principal, the first, as soon as the students arrive, every year they get a fresh intake of students. And the first thing the principal does is he gets everybody together because students go to the principal and they whinge about other students and they say, he said this, she did this, da-da-da. So the first thing he does when they get a fresh intake of students is he sits them all down and he takes them through Matthew 18, 15, and he says, don't come and see me. If someone does something to you, you go and see that person and sort it out with them. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Amen. What a wise man. Okay, well, God bless you. Please make sure that you give Tara the messages that you got for her. Give her a big hug and a kiss where appropriate. And um, let's enjoy some great fellowship together. All right.